I was surprised by so much. Maybe not surprised, outraged maybe is more the word. Um, mm-hmm. The lengths, I mean, there's so many things. The lengths that, that this company went to to try to discredit scientists and try to discredit journalists and try to discredit me and the lengths they went to to manipulate regulators, the lengths they went to to ghostwrite scientific research. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gervais, your host. My guest today is Carrie Gillum. Carrie Gillum is a veteran journalist, researcher, and writer with more than 25 years of experience in the news industry covering corporate America. Her 2017 book about pesticide dangers, Whitewash, the Story of a Weed Killer, Cancer, and the Corruption of Science, won the 2018 Rachel Carson Book Award from the Society of Environmental Journalists and has become part of a curriculum in several university environmental health programs. As a former senior correspondent for Reuters International News Service, Gilliam specializes in finding the story behind the spin, uncovering both the risks and reward of the evolving new age of agriculture. Gilliam left Reuters in late 2015, becoming a research director for a nonprofit organization, U.S. Right to Know, an investigative group focused on exposing corporate wrongdoing and government failures that threaten the integrity of our food system, our environment, and our health. She also writes for The Guardian. Today, we're going to be speaking with Carrie about her new book, The Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. Carrie, welcome to Food Integrity Now. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I am really excited to let our listeners know a little bit about you. And I did talk about some of the work you've done in your bio, And uh, you've done some amazing things. As I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the Monsanto Papers, which is your newest book, which will take the readers behind the scene of the landmark trial, Dwayne Lee Johnson versus Monsanto. And I'm excited to have you share a little bit about the book. And I previously interviewed you with uh, your first book, Whitewash which was really all about the health risks of Monsanto's weed killer Roundup. So my question to you to start us off is, how does the Monsanto papers follow up on that book and how is it different? Well, sure. So Whitewash, which came out in 2017, was really more of an academic book, I guess is the way I try to describe it. you know, I've, uh, it's not reader friendly for just sort of a general audience, perhaps. Um, it's been adopted by several universities for their environmental health curriculum, um, but it really did focus on the science and the regulatory issues um, and the history of this chemical that Monsanto, you know, was able to push to become the world's most widely used herbicide, glyphosate, and how Monsanto engaged in a lot of deceptive um, practices 
to hide the risks of glyphosate. And I relied on freedom of information documents that I got from you know, federal agencies and a lot of state universities. Um, so that book again was you know, pretty heavy lifting, pretty heavy reading. Um, and, and it won a few awards and did really well. But then when, when this, this issue of glyphosate causing cancer and Monsanto's products, Roundup products causing cancer turned into litigation. And, and I started to watch the way that these uh, lawyers around the country were putting together you know, thousands of lawsuits. It came to be over 100,000 people suing Monsanto. And I started to get to know the plaintiffs and really follow the story. It was just a fascinating legal drama, um, you know, that I saw unfolding, and so many twists and turns, and on, on both sides, and sort of secret strategies and backroom, you know, things going on, and um, just I just found the story fascinating as I was reporting it and watching it in real time, and especially this first trial, Lee Johnson, this just really really compelling figure um, who, you know, a father figure, he had two little boys and he was, he'd struggled and risen up out of poverty and he had this great job as a groundskeeper and was really doing well for his family. And, and then he has this, you know, big exposure to Monsanto's glyphosate products and uh, finds himself, you know, with non-Hodgkin lymphoma and told he has 18 months to live. And all of this, you know, was so heart you know, tugging for me, I guess I felt it had to be a movie is really what I thought, but I don't know how to do a movie. So I, <laughs> I know how to write a book. So um, that's what, what we're hearing from reviewers and people who read it. They say it's, it's really a, just a compelling story and it's a legal drama, legal thriller, some people say. Um, so a very different book than Whitewash. Yeah, I agree. Um, so in the book, which you just told us it centers on Lee Johnson as the plaintiff. And it's really the first trial against Monsanto and, and Roundup. Did you have any idea how significant this trial was going to be? Well, I, I knew, you know, I mean, he was the first person in the world to go to trial against Monsanto. Um, and as I, you know, as the trial was, was coming near, I, a lot of people asked me about it and I was very skeptical that they could win, you know, that, that Lee Johnson and his attorneys could win. I thought it was a very high hill to climb and Monsanto certainly was one of the most powerful and influential companies, you know, in, in its sector in the world even. Um, so I, you know, and trying to prove one chemical caused one particular type of, you know, cancer in one particular individual when we're all exposed to so many different, you know, toxins in our environment on a regular basis. I mean, I, I thought it was a high hill to climb, um, but the weight of evidence, the scientific evidence that was presented at trial, the scientific experts, and then all of the evidence that these lawyers were able to obtain from inside Monsanto, all of these thousands of discovery documents that revealed, you know, deep, dark, secretive efforts by Monsanto, even more so than we knew about when I wrote Whitewash, um, that the company had engaged in to hide the risks of its products. Um, they convinced the jury unanimously, you know, to, to find for Lee. So yeah, it was a very significant historic case, certainly. Well, how important was it for you to get the human story across in the book? Was it difficult 
considering how ill Lee is. And what is your relationship like with Lee and his wife, uh, Araceli? So throughout my career, you know, I've, I've been a reporter for more than 30 years. I've covered a lot of different stories and industries. Um, most of my time, I've worked as a national correspondent for Reuters uh, for 17 years, covering a lot of different types of stories. Um, and I've always felt, particularly when you have complex issues, be they political or scientific or, you know, what have you, telling them through the lens of impacted individuals is really the way for the story to resonate and to matter, you know, to people who are reading it. Um, that's, you know, just human nature. It's the way we work. It's our empathy. Um, you know, we care about people um, maybe more than we care about reading about, you know, some complex <laughs> problem in politics or something or in science. So I knew I needed a good character to tell this story. And Lee, is, you know, as I said, he's such a compelling person and such a, when I first met him, you know, he is very hard to get to know. He has, he has a lot of walls up around him. Um, he's very cynical um, and, and skeptical about, you know, people who try to get into his life, personal life. Um, but, you know, once you dig through the layers, he's such a soulful person and such a deep, um, you know, just intuitive uh, creature of the world, I guess, and very artistic, um, very smart. And, and it was heartbreaking to him to feel that he was going to lose the opportunity, not only to live his own life, but to be there to father his, his two young boys um, into adulthood. And, you know, he has managed to outlive his diagnosis, um, but he still struggles on a daily basis with incredible pain and, uh, you know, just, just trying to stay alive. And I've been fortunate that he and, and his wife have, you know, counted me as a friend now. I think they do. And, you know, we have shared meals and cocktails and, you know, laughter and a, a lot of, you know, good times together and hard times. I've cried at times when I've been with him because I just can't bear the pain he's going through sometimes. Um, but I hope that some of that comes across in the book because, it really is. I do hope that the book shines a light on the, the special man that Lee Johnson is. Oh, I think you accomplished that. I thought it was uh, beautifully written, uh, the way you, you shared what was going on with him. And uh, I know you attended much of the trial and you had access, you know, in writing this book to more than, what was it, 80,000 pages of documents. Um, that's a lot of documents. Were you surprised by anything and why? I was surprised by so much. Maybe not surprised, outraged maybe is more the word. Um, mm -hmm. The lengths, I mean, there's so many things. The lengths that, that this company went to to try to discredit scientists and try to discredit journalists and try to discredit me and the lengths they went to to manipulate regulators, um, the lengths they went to to ghostwrite scientific research. You know, I mean, there's one thing that still, I guess, resonates with me. I was reading through these documents, and this was, oh, late 1990s, early 2000. You know, and they were engaging a whole team of scientists were congratulating themselves on all the work that they had done, and you know, all these Monsanto scientists, all the work that they had done 
um, to put together this independent research paper that was going to be the big, you know, the big defense for glyphosate. And they were going to give it to regulators around the world. And it was going to, you know, help them expand the glyphosate market. Uh, and it, you know, this paper found no carcinogenic risk, no reproductive risk, like this was the safest thing ever. And, and they're talking about this independent paper done by independent scientists that they had spent years putting together and writing and editing and crafting. You know, it was just the duplicity. They didn't even seem to recognize sort of the hypocrisy in their, in their conversations. And they're celebrating, they decide to, you know, get commemorative polo shirts for their team members because of all the work they did. I mean, it was oh. just outrageous to me that they, that they could just so bra brazenly, you know, manipulate the, the literature um, with these, these papers that they, you know, put out there that purported to be independent, when in fact they were not. Wow. It went to great lengths to hide things, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so in, in the book, you go into a lot about the characters um, as far as the lawyers. It seems like some of them were quite colorful, um, but they were extremely talented. But can you tell us a bit about a couple of them and who really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, they, that was another thing that made me realize, I, you know, I've got to capture this in a book in some way, because these characters are so compelling. Um, you know, you have Mike Miller, who is this, you know, big, you know, old Southern gentleman guy who's, you know, been, lives out on a horse farm in Virginia, and he's got that Southern drawl, and he's, uh, he's a, take no prisoners, you know, he takes on big pharmaceutical companies. He'd never dealt with a pesticide company, but uh, he, you know, certainly had the, the uh, resume to take on Monsanto and he really wanted to just, you know, drag them down if he could after he saw these documents. And then you have Amy Wagstaff in Colorado, who's, um, you know, a standout, she's a young woman, standout soccer player. She's really sort of a, um, Oh, how did her law partner describe her? Uh, I can't remember now, but she swears like a sailor and, you know, has a big bottle of tequila on her desk all the time. And, um, you know, but is just one of the smartest people in the room, no matter what room she's in. Uh, you know, and Brent Wisner, who was a childhood actor and uh, is still very young and green. But boy, when you put him in a courtroom, he's it's like he's on a stage, you know, and he just, he works that courtroom like he's, uh, you know, the lead star in a, in a TV show or something. And, um, and then you had Tim Litzenberg, who, gosh, the first time I met Tim, I'm like, what is this guy on? I mean, <laughs> he's got his long blonde hair and he's flipping it around and he's got his feet up on a table at a conference and he's, the, literally the first time I saw him, I thought the man must be on drugs. Um, but he's a key player. And, uh, you know, what happens with Tim over the course of the trial and where Tim ends up, you know, is another dramatic twist. Uh, you know, what happens to Mike Miller on the eve of trial, you know, a tragedy that almost kills him. Um, you know, yeah, that was amazing. We'll let our, our, our <laughs> read about that. We're not, <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So many compelling characters, all of them, I think. Yeah. Well, I think you did a great job of 
I don't know, painting a picture for me, because uh, one of the things you may not know about me is for 23 years, I was a legal assistant on the defense side in product liability. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I- Tell I, us your stories. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, that was another life, Carrie. <laughs> no, I, I, I was in the legal field for many years and, and I left to become a life coach and a nutritionist and do stuff I really love. But anyway, I thought you did a great job of, of just painting the picture of, of these uh, attorneys working on a very difficult case and the amount of work involved in bringing something like this to trial when you've got a David versus Goliath type situation like with Monsanto, it's, just, it's astronomical. It really is. And just the things that I learned that about how these things are done, you know, just how do you manage, you know, 10 million documents that you get from a company um, in discovery? How do you manage them? How do you search them? How do you find those golden nuggets that you need at trial? Um, you know, and all the, the hurdles that were before them before they could go to trial, um, you know, the Daubert standing and the federal court hearing um, that they had to go through to be sure that their scientific experts could testify at trial. You know, I think a lot of people, I, I know I did, I guess, believe that really it's just when you go to trial, both sides gather up the best evidence and throw it out there for the jury and, and there you go. But that certainly um, is not the way it works. Yeah. Um, and, and so I've, I've tried to really just also make this a book that illuminates how the mass tort system in the U.S., works right. and sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I guess, um, about that, because there certainly are, there certainly is bad and ugly, um, and there certainly is good. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a really interesting issue, I think. Um, so I hope that, that exploring that is also interesting to people. Yeah. And that begs the question, did this trial change the way you view lawyers or the legal system? Well, it certainly did give me a new um, level of understanding of the nuance. You know, there are, I mean, the, the plaintiff's attorneys, the plaintiff's bar, the trial lawyers, you know, they, there are certain ones out there who do not like the other ones. And there are certain ones that people will say are ambulance chasers. And there are others that are the, are the Davids going up against the Goliaths. You know, there's a, there's so many different layers um, to the way that this is all handled. And, and it doesn't to me seem like the best system, <laughs> frankly, for holding companies accountable. I think there's a lot of excess, a lot of exploitation, um, a lot of uh, you know, bogging down perhaps of, of courtroom, courthouses. Um, but if you don't have a regulatory system that is going to hold corporations accountable when they do not adequately you know, protect consumers or they do not adequately warn about uh, the risks of their products, if regulators and lawmakers aren't gonna do their jobs, who is going to hold a company accountable? Um, right now, this is all we have really, is this, this plaintiff's bar situation. Um, so thank God for these lawyers, um, because if they weren't willing to put out their own money and spend years of their own time, millions of their own dollars, um, you wouldn't, you would never have 
Bayer, Monsanto's owner Bayer now agreeing to pay $11 billion uh, to cancer victims because of, of uh, their exposures. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it, interesting because we, we know the jury verdict awarded Lee initially, what was it, $289 million? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then that was reduced to $78 million. And then it got reduced again to $20.6 million. Is that correct? 20, yeah, 20.5, yeah. 20.5 million. And I know uh, since you have written the book, I saw an article that Monsanto Bear announced it was going to not pursue the Supreme Court review of that $20 million verdict. Uh, what, what do you think that means? Yeah, they, well, they paid Lee last fall, um, just right about after the time my book went to press. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, I didn't think that they, it didn't seem likely that they were going to go ahead and, and try okay. to file anything to the Supreme Court. Um, he did get his money uh, in October-ish, I think it was, I can't recall now, but um, but Monsanto Bear, Bear, which owns Monsanto, is um, actually still appealing the two other trial verdicts. Um, and they may, you know, push one of those to the Supreme Court. Uh, we don't know for sure. But is that is that Hardiman and Pilliot or right? The two yeah, yeah. and the Hardiman. Yeah, yeah. Huh. What about all the other cases pending? Where where do they stand right now? And can new cases be brought forward even after Monsanto settles everything? Yeah, I mean, where we are right now, it's really, I mean, Bear is facing just a huge challenge in trying to put an end to this litigation. They have been able to negotiate settlements with the major main law firms involved, like the Mike Miller that we talked about, his firm, mm-hmm. and Amy Wagstaff, her firm, and Brent Wisner, his firm. So the major um, team members have agreed to settlements, um, but there are a number of smaller law firms that did not lead the litigation, but are not settling with Bayer and are trying to push their plaintiffs to trial. Um, so, you know, there are still a number of cases out there. We could see more trials. Um, Bayer is also trying to figure out how in the world to head off cases that might be filed, you know, in the future, because right. people are still using this chemical and still getting non-Hodgkin lymphoma. They've put um, a $2 billion proposal out there to try to set up a plan, but um, so far it's not, uh, the, the lawyers are, for the plaintiffs are not loving that. And uh, so we don't know, they could be litigating this for decades. Hmm, wow. You know, and after all this Roundup has still sold and used widely, what do you think in your opinion needs to happen in order to get it banned or or do you think that will ever happen? Well, you know, and as I've said many times, I'm not, I'm not somebody who stands up and says you should ban it. Um, and, and that's for many reasons. One, most of which is I don't think that I'm smart enough. You know, that's not my, that's not my pay grade. That's, that's for somebody higher than me because there are with any sort of, you know, chemical substance, things like that, there are risks and rewards, benefits and costs. If we banned every single substance in the world that causes cancer, you know, <laughs> I mean, our, our life, our lives would be markedly different. Um, 
so knowing something can cause cancer, proving it can cause cancer, and then figuring out what to do about that, you know, are two different things, I think. So should it be sprayed directly on food crops? Probably not, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know that that's a great idea. Um, that was one of the main things that Monsanto needed, why they needed to downplay any carcinogenic um, findings, why they needed to rebut the very early science in the 1980s that showed that this had a, um, was possibly carcinogenic because they wanted to spray, they wanted farmers to be able to spray it directly over food crops, leaving residues in the food that we consume, which is currently the case. But, you know, could farmers use it in a restricted way, in a restricted manner, you know, to help them with their weeds in their fields if they know the risks and they're wearing proper protective gear? Maybe that's okay. Do we need it in our school grounds where kids play because we don't like the look of dandelions? Probably not. You know, I, I think, there are a lot of things that need to be weighed um, in a decision like that. Um, and, and I'm not the person to, to weigh them, obviously. Well, I'm on the opposite end of that. I, I consider myself an activist and I am actively working on getting Roundup banned because I think it's, there's enough evidence that it is it's harming the planet, the environment, or, you know, it's in our food supply, it's in breast milk, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. And I know there are other substances that, you know, are toxic at well, but the, the overwhelming amount of evidence that this stuff is very harmful to humanity warrants its banning. So, and I would, I, I agree with you on that front. The, it, it's the pervasiveness, and this is something I've said before as well, in, written about in Whitewash. If this had been, if Monsanto had not pushed this to such you know, pervasive use, um, if it had been more restricted, if it had not been allowed to be directly sprayed on food crops, you know, we wouldn't be maybe where we are today, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's this a- excess and this overuse of this chemical that has created so many problems that you just mentioned that, you know, has affected the health of the soil, that has affected, you know, the biodiversity that's impacting our insects and our, you know, and our monarch butterflies and, um, you know, and uh, air quality and uh, water. You know, we find this chemical, our scientists have found glyphosate in rainfall. Um, and air samples and, and water, and surface waters and drinking water and food. And, and I totally agree with you. You should not, that, you should not have that ubiquitous um, situation with a chemical like this. Um, it's a failure of our regulatory system. It's a failure of lawmakers. It's certainly a failure of a company to take public, public and health, environmental health into account. Um, but that was not what they were thinking. They were thinking profits. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yes, I I agree that the the overuse, the excess use, we can't be, we can't expect to have long and healthy futures. We can't expect to turn our you know planet over to our children and their children and their children um, without a lot of disease and death and suffering if we don't change the path we're on. And I think that's a bigger thing than banning glyphosate. I think it, it, you need an overhaul of the entire system that relies on and pushes and rewards and subsidizes pesticide use. Yeah. And 
I, I know there's there's many toxic chemicals out there and we live in a toxic world, let's face it. But uh, my goal is to mitigate as many as possible, mitigate the damage, I guess, uh, as much as possible because the trajectory of our future is not great. You know, like you were just saying, you know, what are, what are we leaving for our grandkids? And um, yeah, I think- Go if people look at, you know, it's not only cancers. If you look at cancer, I mean, cancer is hitting over, killing over 600,000 people in the United States every year. Um, 1.8 million people were diagnosed in 2020, according to the National Cancer Institute. 40% of men and women in the United States are expected to get cancer in their lifetimes now. Yes. And that, you know, and that's only cancer. And then if you look at reproductive trends and you look oh, at- yeah infertility, dropping levels of testosterone in men, um, problems, you know, birth problems in terms of um, gestation and low birth weights. And you look at what we're seeing in neurodevelopmental problems in children, all of this can be tied at least in part to pesticides, to the toxins in our environment. And that's what the scientific research tells us. And we don't seem to be getting it. I mean, you're getting some of us are getting it, right? Right, right, right. More of us need to get that. Um, well, that's that's why I do this work, and I'm sure that's why you do your work too. To exactly, to, exactly. To, it's I feel like it's my job to sort of, you know, report, find data, pull it together, put it out there, and then people like you, you know, are are the people who go and do the work. Well, you know, you're doing your work too, but thank you for that. It's, um, it's very important to me. And, you know, I've read the studies, I've, I've reviewed the documents and uh, there's, there's just a lot and there's probably more that we don't even know. So um, anyway, thank you for, um, for writing this book and, and making us aware, not only of the health risks that Monsanto clearly knew about, and, but also for creating a human story that that should matter to everyone. Yeah, I hope it does. I hope people, um, you know, feel feel and care and uh, are moved. You know, perhaps to take action. Yeah. So, is, is that kind of um, what you would like to re to leave our readers with? As what do you want? the readers to take away after reading this book? Yeah, well, again, I, I, I hope that it raises awareness about, you know, the real suffering um, that is being endured, not just by one man, you know, but by millions, right? Um, mm -hmm. of people um, who are suffering from disease and illness that we know is tied to these toxic chemicals, to pesticides, to glyphosate, to Roundup, uh, and others. And if, you know, to, if you can, if you are motivated to, you can take action to protect yourselves. Maybe you change your practices. Maybe you change, um, you know, maybe you still want to spray or use a pesticide, but maybe, gosh, you realize I better make sure I, you know, protect myself and wear long sleeves and gloves and pants and shoes. Or maybe you decide it's okay to have dandelions in your yard instead, right? Or maybe you're motivated to ask your school district, um, to stop spraying where your kids, you know, play um, and play sports and, and roll around in the grass together, you know, or maybe you want to take it to Washington. I mean, 
I think every person, you know, just has to decide for themselves what their priorities and perspective are. But hopefully, you know, the book, as I said, again, hopefully it's a story that matters um, and helps people see the light about something that's been hidden for a really long time. Yeah. I always tell people if, if they, if they decide that they've been, been too passive about an issue that matters to, to them, take some action in a way that works for you, like what you were saying. So maybe you, maybe you want to find a good alternative to, if you don't want your weeds, you know, a more natural way, or maybe you want to try to change through uh, going through the legislature, or maybe you want to just raise awareness by, you know, talking to other people, but whatever works for you, do it. It's different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, reducing the pesticide load in our world certainly is something that we need to move on and act on. Um, yeah. And if not nothing else, just start with yourself. I mean, just exactly. start eating uh, more organic or grow your own food. And um, I, I'm pretty clear that you're going to notice if you've been eating a lot of food that does contain chemicals and pesticides, from my experience of working with people, when they switch, they really notice a difference, you know, start with yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think if people, when people understand, you know, the, the levels of pesticide residues that are in foods that we just eat so commonly and we feed to our kids, right. It's, it's alarming when you have that information, it just really isn't it to me, at least it doesn't seem to matter that, you know, the companies and the EPA tell us, Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. These are pesticides in, in your strawberries and your cereal are not going to hurt you. Don't worry about it. But um, yeah. Yeah. And if you're really trusting the EPA, read Ivago Stalianato's book, Poison Springs. <laughs> yeah. I interviewed him about that book too. So um, that's yeah, a, that's a terrible and tragic. Yes. I mean, yeah, it really is. But, but, but it's uh you know, it's eye-opening and it just raises your awareness. And it's not to create fear ever. It's just about raising your awareness and then you get to, to choose accordingly. That's exactly. the way I look at it. So thank you, Carrie, uh, for being our guests on Food Integrity Now today. And thank you to our listeners. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, or you can just listen at foodintegritynow.org. And if you like this interview, please uh, share it. The book is the Monsanto Papers and probably on sale everywhere, Amazon and any any place else you want to highlight where they can get the book? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, anywhere you buy books, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, independent booksellers, you can buy directly from the publisher, Island Press, um, you know, or you can go on my website, carriegillum.com and get links um, to different places, but yeah, just wherever you get a book and it's going to be coming out in Audible very soon, I believe, if it's not already. So Okay, well, that's wonderful. And I'll also put a link on our show page. And I really enjoyed talking with you again and uh, love the work that you do and uh, can't wait for your next book if there's <laughs> one in the making. <laughs> not another one about Monsanto. <laughs> thank you. Okay, you are welcome. Thanks to our listeners and be well.